Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find what we have to say interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on just about any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally like Live stream the recording of these episodes on Wednesday nights on YouTube around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. That's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today we're going to be talking with Mike from Blue Run Spirits. Conversations like this are the main reason that I started this podcast, an opportunity to talk to people who are passionate about um, the spirits industry, passionate about bourbon, passionate about connection, passionate about um, quality. The the folks over at Blue Run, Mike included, are absolutely the epitome of passion about their particular product. I just finished talking with him a few minutes ago, and you know I can't I can't help but uh, think about the next opportunity we're going to have to be able to sit down and chat again. Uh, it was super fun. Um, I hope it's entertaining, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, this afternoon, I have Mike Montgomery joining me from Blue Run Spirits, and so I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. Um, we'll just kind of kick off with let's let's hear about your brand. Anything you you have you want to sell, um, push out any new releases, and and we'll kind of pivot from there. All right. Well, John, thanks for. Um, thanks for having me. This is a, it's exciting to get a, a chance to talk to you, um, like in person and not, uh, just on Instagram messenger, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, uh, you know, we've been around for eh, almost two years now. Um, and it feels like forever. And also, you know, uh, it, it's, it's happened really, really quickly. Um, so, we have um, we have Reflection One, which is a uh, a bourbon uh, distillate that was um, that was distilled by uh, the the goat Jim Rutledge. Um, I'm really excited about that. That will be uh, depending on on when this airs, it will likely have uh, have hit shelves by then uh, in uh, 15 U.S. Uh, markets and Canada. Um, and it's a, it's particularly meaningful to me, um, you know, the, the idea of taking a step back and reflecting on something is, um, is something I think we all did a lot of, um, or have been doing a lot of over the last few years. Um, you know, for me in particular, it centered around a, a family health crisis in 2020, um, and this uh, this particular bourbon at this particular proof is what I was drinking, um, and it was. I think you know, John. Do you feel this like certain times you drink you drink a bourbon or a rye, and it and it transports you somewhere. It puts you in a frame of mind. It changes your mood. You ever feel that? I think that's the entire reason why. I drink whiskey specifically, and you know I've I've talked about this. Uh, the the benefit that I got from the pandemic is I had the opportunity to lead some some tastings with some some friends that are geographically isolated. I work with digital teams across the United States and even globally, so we were able to send stuff out. And that's 
like if I want to, I want a nice cocktail just to enjoy while I'm talking to people that that's okay. But whiskey, when you get into the really kind of the nuance of it, you start tasting things. It's about memory recollection. And I'm not very good at pulling out tasting notes. I'm not the guy that's like, Oh, this is going to taste like cinnamon or nutmeg or whatever. But I feel relatively good about this reminds me of a moment in my life. And that's what makes most brown spirits and very specifically whiskey important and impactful to me. Um, there's a richness of tradition, there, all of those things. And so there's a way to connect. You know, if, if I drink Jim Beam White Label, I'm going to be transported back to college. Me Absolutely. too. Me too. Um, you know, and, and and on the good days when when waiting tables went really well, maybe it's Maker's Mark. You know, Ooh. because that was the, that was the, the, the premier brand in the day. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. You, yes, yes, there, there's a there's an attachment to whiskey and more specifically bourbon that is sentimental yes absolutely and and i've found with with reflection um it it isn't just kind of hearkening back to the past there's also there's there's also kind of this pathway forward um that it provides there's some clarity of thought um which is kind of funny when you think about like oh i just drank bourbon and now i have my my thoughts are super clear right um but there were some crazy things happening. Um, and you know, I, I was kind of looking for something that would either raise my spirits or distract me from, from kind of the realities or slash horrors that were, you know, that were happening at the time. Um, and so reflection one is, is obviously, you know, it's, it's reflection numeral one. It's got, it's got the numeral one for a reason. Um, uh, there will be further iterations of it that that will be um, uh, you know different from each other, um, but still kind of grounded in that same um, uh, you know it, it, it kind of in the same kind of product uh, uh, category. Um, so that's coming out. That's um, it's delicious type of thing that I would like to have you know fifty cases of in my garage as a go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things with blue run has been that, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, we're attempting to vary our price points. Also, this one, this one will be more affordable, um, more approachable. Um, that said, you know, and I know your listeners are astute enough to know this, but we don't set retail pricing. Um, I wish we did, um, because I probably have to deal with far less, uh, conversations that that center around well, like why was it why why was this ninety dollar bottle priced at a you know one hundred and seventy five? It's like mm-hmm. I can't tell you that. Um, but as far as a suggested retail price, it's going to be much more approachable. Um, I think it's it's the type of bourbon that um, you know that that kind of aficionados like yourself will enjoy. I also think that um, people who are just interested in 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 kind of getting into uh bourbon who may drink other brown spirits might look at and say that's something i want to try based upon the flavor profile based upon the approachability based upon maybe even the look and feel um and so that's coming and we're really excited about that um it's you know for for you john it's been on shelves in kentucky for a handful of weeks um, the rest of the country is about to see it. Yep. So, and 
so part of the reason why I began this journey of wanting to have a podcast was the opportunity to talk to brands and their unique approaches. And you have the legacy brands that have a rich history, right? They have this, this story that they can tell of a lineage that goes back to before Kentucky was a state of Kentucky. You know, it was, it was just another part of Virginia, but then you have these, you guys specifically and other new brands that are entering the market that your story becomes your brand specifically and how you kind of go to market. And I, I really enjoy this, this connection to the naming of it and, and the opportunity, you know, you, you're calling reflection because it has a distinct impact on your life. And um, a host of other people are doing something similar. I don't want to say the exact same. Everybody's got a, got their own spin on it, but you know, the, the purpose of, in, in my opinion, the purpose of Brown spirits like this is to hurry up and slow down. Yeah. Uh, and so you were talking about, you know, it's, you, you're drinking something to put you in a mindset to be more contemplative and reflection based. Um, this this makes sense. Like this is this is what it is for most of us, whether we're aficionados or just simple consumers of it. Um, you touched on the the affordability of it. And that's uh, that's a thing that we, you know, we get hung up on. I, I took some time to do a little bit of research over. You know, the rate of inflation of everything else in the United States versus the, the inflation of whiskey and whiskey related things. And it's not it did not match national inflation. So there, there are prices <laughs> that are higher than um, that are whiskey prices five years ago were lower than they should have been based off of what inflationary tendency should have been. Um, and so we're seeing that now. I, I think less people are concerned. I appreciate the, the approach of let's let's kind of have varied offerings at different price points because that does allow folks that enter into the marketplace um, to have an opportunity to taste something that is different, but also appreciate the understanding your value when you come to market with a thing, right? You've, you've gone through a pretty significant process. And one of the things that, that, you know, I try to do a little bit of research, but one of the things that I found early on, like you guys, butterfly, butterfly is a big thing for you, but those metal butterflies that go on to the bottles i read somewhere that it takes somewhere between three and five days to finish that um to, to be put on be put on a bottle right <laughs> yeah it's it's painstaking um you know it is it is you know kind of the definition of hand bottled um you know and hand finished because you know it literally takes a person or multiple people um putting those butterflies on and you know you should also see uh, somewhere at some point in time, I'll track it down and send you this picture. But I've got this kind of this this uh, uh, reject, what we're calling our reject bottles, where the butterflies are askew, um, <laughs> right. right? And so then we've got to strip those things off and try to place them again. Um, and and we do our best. Sometimes there are bottles that slip through. If if uh, um, there's a uh, a good friend of mine in Georgia, if he's, if he's listening to this, he'll kind of laugh because he seems to always find the bottle on the shelf that somehow you know, either slipped through quality control or like got jumbled and, and kind of shaken around in the, in, in the truck on the way to the store with the, you know, that's missing a butterfly or something, but it's always, mm -hmm. it's always like one person that that happens to, but um, you know, we're really, it, it takes a when you think about like, time um the time it takes to bottle something and bottling is you know it's it's more complicated than it looks um and we have you know when you look at our our bottle there are com different components to it um 
that you know we we have high standards we want the the labels to be straight we want the uh, the butterflies to to exist mm-hmm. um, and uh, even when you think about like it, three to five days maybe it depends on the size of the run but that's probably about right um, but then you, you got to go back to the fact that it takes over six months of advance of lead time to get the butterflies made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're kind of unfortunately living in this world where, um, you know, supply chain and, and, and uh, supply constraints exist. Um, you know, uh, back in 2020, it was like nobody could find a bicycle or toilet paper, um, you know, Today, you know, people are stealing catalytic converter converters to 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 get the you know whatever it is out of the out of the converter that they use to do something else to sell resell. I don't know, but it's right. like like things are disappearing um, and harder to get, and so it takes more advanced planning. It takes more upfront cost. It takes more time, mm-hmm. um, and we're trying to work through those things as efficiently as possible um, because. You know, you know, we want to make sure that we deliver the best possible product at the best possible price. Um, it's, you know, going back to this and I've beaten a kind of a, a dead horse here, but it's all about the experience. Absolutely. And, you know, it, the, the intentionality is the part that I think doesn't go unnoticed amongst a lot of us in the fact that you're, willing to take that on i think about there's there's the, the i can't remember what the triangle is called but there's like good fast and cheap right and you put all of them on a tip of uh, a point of the triangle and you can have two of those like yeah. you can find yourself anywhere between two of those but you can't have all three and so you're making something that is good and you're making it as fast as you can so it's not necessarily going to be cheap and you don't want it to be cheap i don't think i mean from from what i get from this particular brand offering is that it is not coming in as a as a budget offering it is something that is intentionally beautiful, intentionally delicious and intentionally crafted. Um, and I, right. I, I think that speaks to, to some of the, the ethos of, of what the brand is. I think you're right. Um, and you know, the, it, it is all intentional. We're never going to be able to compete with that bottom shelf. We're never going to be a well, a well bourbon, um, you know, it's just, we don't have 200 years of, of lineage. We don't have, you know, the access to, to barrels that we can produce at, you know, I don't know, $450 a barrel. Um, right. Our costs are, are, um, obviously higher, but, you know, like you say, we want the quality to be, to be top notch. That's why we work with Jim Rutledge. Um, uh, you know, that's why we hired Shaylin Gammon. Um, you know, we believe that, that you can, that, that there's a way to produce high quality, unique, uh, bourbons and rise. And, and that's our intention. And it doesn't have to look like it's, you know, survived a flood and a fire and, um, you know, I don't have to make up a story that, I found I found this mash bill, you know, that my that my great grandfather who, um, who, you know, migrated west from um, from Mingo County, West Virginia, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
brought this with him. And in his belongings, when we were going through them 100 years later, we found this amazing mash bill and we've recreated it. And it's like, that's not true. Right. Right. It's not true. And it's not us. Um, right. right. So so we 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 like the idea that the bourbon drinking experience can be modernized. Um, we obviously salute the heritage of the past and, and um, you know, I think we kind of uh, embody that with uh, a relationship with Jim, but um, you know, there is an elevated experience that is available and we're trying to, we're trying to provide that. Yeah. And actually you touched on it. So you you already took one of my questions away from me. Ah, sorry. It, it feels like, no, 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 this is, this is a pro because this is the way the conversation goes. Um, it feels like you, you have an interest in being um, a quality spirit. And, you know, you have, I have this mindset, at least in my work, that if you hire the best, you'll be the best. And I had on here like, okay, so you, you've, you've hired and you work with Jim Rutledge and you've hired Shaylin. Like, what is that like working with with folks like that for, for a relatively new brand? Hmm. Um, it's uh, uh, I, I like winning the the Powerball or something. Um, you know, it's I, I I'm always in awe of Jim every time I get to talk to him. Um, and first and foremost, I, because he is one of the one of the kindest human beings I've ever met. Um, and he's always got time. He's always willing to explain um, and, and work through what he's thinking. Um, he's very direct. Uh, Jim is, Jim is just, uh, you know, in terms of, of like, uh, the Mount Rushmore of great human beings. Forget bourbon. Jim is on it. Jim mm -hmm. is. Jim, it's just. It's just a joy to be able to 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 know him, to call him a friend, and and to call him a colleague. It's unbelievable, um, and it doesn't get old either. It's still there's there's still this like you know, oh my God, this is Jim Rutledge, right? Right. He just answered my phone call, you know, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know. I, I get that feeling regularly whenever I reach out to any brand and they're like, yeah, well, absolutely talk. So even, even whenever you, yeah. I, I reach out to you and you're like, yeah, we'll do this. Like, I understand the feeling because um, for anyone who's not in the industry, talking to someone in the industry is is that level. For someone who is in this industry, talking to someone like Rutledge is is that sort of next step. Like, that's that, that's 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 huge. And it's yeah. It, it it's it feels like not only are you hiring people that are good at their job, you're just hiring generically good citizens, like just good human beings, and that's yeah. valuable. Yeah, I I um, uh, you know, I come from the political world. Uh, the last number of I don't know how many numbers of years of my life have been spent uh, doing um, uh, mainly tech policy consulting, um, and. I've worked with some very good people, some people I'm still in touch with today who will be friends forever. Um, but uh, the one thing that, that I think working in politics generally taught me is that uh, I want to work with people I like. And that was, that was a new kind of one of the new opportunities here with Blue Run is that you know, we specifically formed our team and continue to form our team 
based upon um, not just one thing, which is, you know, are they good at what they do? That's obviously, um, you know, a significant hurdle that people have to, to have to reach, but are they good people? Are we going to get along? Mm-hmm. Is this going to be, are, are we going to stand, um, you know, uh, are we going to be able to communicate well? Do we like each other? Would we, if, if Blue Run didn't exist, would we still hang out together? You know, like that's, that's what it should be, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't brain surgery. This isn't rocket science, yep. right? We're not curing cancer. Unfortunately, I wish we were. Um, you know, so this is a chance for us to do things differently, not only in terms of how we build our team, but what the bottle looks like, what goes in the bottle, how we, how we talk about tasting notes, um, the, 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 the types of folks that we podcast with, right? Like there's so many, there are so many pieces to this, to this blue run puzzle that allow us to do things differently, to think differently, um, and to create something that hasn't been done before, because it's like, you know, um, I don't want to kind of, it's like the definition of insanity in a way. Right. Um, if it's been done in the past, uh, that's not necessarily the way we're going to do things in the future. Um, and so, you know, we're not, it's not like we're going to come out with a bourbon that's, that's 49% corn. You know, right, right. Um, but uh, you have some guardrails, but you don't necessarily have to to right. do the same thing that's over and over. There's there's a story that I use regularly in my work environment. It's it's about a, a woman who's fixing a ham, and um, I guess it could be anybody fixing a ham. But they go and they 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 pull out the ham and they cut the ends off the ham. They put it in the pan and they cook it. And uh, one of the children says, "You know, why are you cutting the ends off the ham?" And and the person says, "I don't know. That's what that's what my mom did." And so she goes and asks her mom, and her mom's, like, "I don't know. That's what my what's what my mom did." So they go ask the grand the you know the grandmother, and they get down the line. And they realize the first person started cutting the ends off the ham because the pan was only so big and it would just fit the ham. But because it became a tradition, when the pan got pan got bigger, they just kept doing the same thing over and over again, and it is insanity. Um, and so. It's it's refreshing to hear this is that, you know, you can appreciate the the lineage and the, and the history and all of the 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 pomp and circumstance that comes with it. But you don't necessarily have to, to follow it. And you, you're kind of giving a good case of why you do business the way you do business, um, you know, and people are noticing uh, I have a handful of friends on social media that have have received the handwritten notes whenever ah. they get stuff. And like that's that's a huge deal to people because in today's modern business world that doesn't regularly occur. But my question then becomes, all right, so how you do business is indicative of who you are, but how did you land on whiskey specifically as opposed to anything else in the world you could have done? Why this? Oh, that's a, that's a, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I've, I've long felt uh, more of an entrepreneurial pull in my life. Um, and I, I think that's just generally based upon, um, you know, the fact that I had access to all these other businesses um, that were doing, you know, amazing things or um, were not so amazing things that needed to be fixed. Um, and um, 
providing what I thought were good ideas and valuable insights. And um, occasionally my ideas would be utilized and put into, put into play. And um, sometimes, you know, they'd be mothballed. Um, and what I was much more interested in as I get older and as I kind of enter this, whatever this next phase of, of, of my life is, um, I wasn't really content with that sort of, um, setup. Um, you know, I, I think that I occasionally do have some good ideas. Um, I think that, um, a lot of these businesses have probably aired when they didn't use them. Um, and, you know, it just became evident to me that I'd, I'd really like the chance to apply a lot of, a lot of my thinking toward something that is my own. Um, and so, okay, great. Now what? Right. Right. Um, and, uh, one of my, one of my frequent collaborators is, is Jesse McKnight. He's one of my co-founders now. Um, and Jesse's, Jesse's always been, uh, one of the people in my life I could call and vice versa. You know, it's, 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 it's both, it goes both ways, but, um, where I could call and say, I've got a crazy idea. And he'd say, yeah, tell me, what is it? You know? Um, and, uh, uh, so we did that quite frequently uh, with with kind of what I would call less than good ideas. And then one day he called me, and and you know Jesse spends a lot of time in um, in Kentucky. He's from Georgetown in Scott County originally. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's a co-owner of a of a business in Eastern Kentucky. Um, and one day he called me and said, "Hey, somebody wants to sell me some barrels of bourbon." And you know, uh, I live in Los Angeles and, you know, I, when I, when I was younger, I traveled, you know, down to, down to Los Angeles and I'd see uh, on the 405 freeway, there would be a van driving by and it would be selling like speakers out of the back on a freeway. Right. And uh-huh. that was, that was what I pictured in my mind. It's like, okay, wait a minute. So <laughs> you got a guy who's going to sell you a couple barrels of bourbon out of the, you know, the mm-hmm. back of his truck or something like that. Right that it's not a business. Um, right. But I, you know, it's funny at the, at the beginning you brought up being white label and yeah, that's what I drank too, uh, in college. And, you know, I had to, I had to drown it in enough Coke to, uh, to make it palatable. Right. Um, but, um, that was kind of my, that was my gateway bourbon and, um, and it developed thereafter. Um, and, you know, when Jesse said, Hey, I've got this guy who wants to sell me some barrels of bourbon. Obviously your reaction was like, that's not a business, but it got me thinking, mm-hmm. right. And it got me kind of more focused. And I would spend hours at liquor stores looking at bottles and, and, uh, you know, kind of absorbing labels, um, and thinking through flavor profiles and, you know, Jesse and I talked a lot about like, okay, is it two barrels or is it, you know, 2000 barrels or 2 million barrels or, you know, cause the, the last thing that I really wanted to do was put a lot of time and effort into something that was going to be a flash in the pan. Um, you know, maybe we'd, maybe we'd be able to, to cobble together a handful of barrels and, 
and do a release and then what? Um, so, you know, we put a lot of time and a lot of effort into, into a, into a real comprehensive business plan and some, and some, uh, long kind of long-term long range thinking. Um, and, um, there was, there was kind of this last kind of component of, okay, this is all well and fine. I think we, we, you know, obviously you understand bourbon, obviously we kind of understand, I think the marketing side and what could be done better or differently, but you know, in a kind of in a vacuum, that's all well and fine, but you gotta, you gotta actually pull it off. Um, and so I think one of the, one of the kind of the biggest moves that we made was to, uh, was to call Devin McKinney, um, who is another one of our co-founders and, and he's, uh, currently the, the head of lifestyle design at Nike. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, also uh, a bourbon drinker and, you know, he was just like ready and raring to go. Like, uh, yeah, uh, we can totally do this. Yes, we can do it differently. Yes. We mm -hmm. can kind of reimagine, um, what bourbon can be. And it doesn't need to be named old or ancient, um, in order to resonate with consumers. And, oh, by the way, you know, when we're doing our, our demographics research, um, not everybody looks like you and me who's drinking bourbon. Right. And that, and that is such a, that is such a beautiful thing. Right. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there are people from uh, a broad range of, of backgrounds and, and demographics mm -hmm. um, who are drinking bourbon um, and they're not really being spoken to. Not at all. And right. Like, you know, I don't, you know, they're probably buying brands because those are the ones on the shelves that are available to them. But mm -hmm. is there really a true brand affinity? Um, and so, you know, we're focused on that brand affinity. That's why, you know, I mean, it's, it's why I spend, you know, so much time. I don't know if you can see this, John, but like, this is what I have to do today. Right. I've got a bunch of letters to write, but the thing is, I want to know, you know, I want to know the people in Tennessee and Virginia and Florida and, you know, Georgia and everywhere else that, that they're buying our, our bottles because um, I'm just like them. Right. There's no mm -hmm. difference between me and the woman in Louisiana or, um, you know, the guy in in Delaware um, who drinks and enjoys, uh, um, drinking whiskey. I think that, that, you know, what we're really trying to accomplish is a personal connection. I want them to know me just as much as I want to know them because I am them. And I would want to be affiliated with a brand that, that I had access to that treated me as not just a customer or consumer, but a friend. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear it because I, I see that most of bourbon and whiskey marketing is targeted at people that look a lot like you and me, the, the, the average uh, white North American male. And, and that's not what the market looks like. 
right? That's what the marketing may look like, but that's not what the market necessarily looks like. Um, so uh, this is, there's, there's a question and there's a follow-up question to it. So the, how, how did you land on the butterfly? Like how, how did the butterfly become huh. the thing? Um, it was, it was one of the, it was one of the iterations. Um, and what Devin was, was playing around with was the, the idea that, um, you know, there is a, a, a metamorphosis, um, that is available to be made in, in, in bourbon. So, um, and kind of taking a step back, you look at, you know, uh, the uh, the monarch butterfly in Kentucky is is um, you know kind of important uh, in its history and its in its in its uh, you know geography. You're going to find those, um, and so you know when we're really thinking about Kentucky and we're going back to what uh, Jesse and his brother John McKnight um, grew up with in Georgetown around Royal Spring. Um, you know, which is, which is where Elijah Craig first made his bourbon, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, the idea that that water from Royal Spring was the thing that made that, you know, at least Elijah Craig credited for, you know, making his bourbon taste good. Um, you know, we tried to, we really tried to kind of make this central to, to Jesse's childhood, um, which, you know, he called Royal Spring, the blue run. Um, uh, I think likely, uh, you know, a, a connection to, to blue run Baptist church, you know, which was Elijah Craig's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, church, which I guess was in Virginia at the time, but, um, is no longer. Um, and so, you know, there are frogs, there are butterflies, there are a bunch of things around the blue spring that, uh, blue run Royal Spring that Jesse remembers, um, but once we kind of focused on the fact that there's butterflies and butterflies go through this metamorphosis, this progression, and that's what we wanted to do. When you think about kind of modernizing the approach to bourbon, um, it, it requires a change, right? And what is, you know, what kind of embodies change more than a, more than a butterfly, right? Right. You know, it it goes through these stages of its own existence. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the working theory there with the butterfly um, is that it's about change. I, I like that. I like this, this, this imagery of, of metamorphosis, metamorphosis. Um, but I think uh, sort of an un unintended um, connection that you can probably draw now that you wouldn't have known at that point in time is that, so you have this 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 chaos theory called the butterfly effect, right? Mm -hmm. So a small change in one ecosystem leads to a much broader change. You know, a butterfly flaps its wing on the other side of the country. There's a tornado here. Uh, I would I would challenge or I would say that the introduction to the way that you do business has that metamorphic change to the whiskey marketplace, but it has that sort of um, situation where now other people are scrambling to try to kind of keep up with this idea that you guys are doing as, as far as how you build it. And so I think, I think it just, it goes together well with it, at least in my mindset. I think you're right. Um, you know, I think the butterfly effect is, is, um, you know, <laughs> it's real. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's apropos to what we're talking about a hundred percent. 
um, you know, imitation, I think, is the greatest form of flattery. And we're starting to see, you know, if you if you just peruse Instagram, you're going to see other brands are starting to write notes to people. Um, you know, note writing is not a novel theory. It's not a not a next gen sort of approach um, at all. And I'm sure people no, I mean, have been doing it's an it Emily Post. I mean, like, it's an yeah. Emily Post book of etiquette. So it's been yeah. around for a while, but it's a forgotten. It, it really is. It really is. It's, um, it is forgotten. And, um, you know, I don't actually know the last time I purchased a product where, uh, the CEO of the company has written me a handwritten note, thanking me for trying their product. Right. Right. Like what's wrong, maybe what's wrong with me for, uh, for thinking that we can pull this off as we continue to grow and scale and, and put more, put more bottles out there. But, um, you know, I, I like to say, um, you know, that, that these notes don't scale, but it's the one part of the business that doesn't need to, doesn't need to scale. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. It is fun seeing these notes pop up, um, you know, occasionally and who knows what the math is. Maybe it's like one photo for every hundred I send, mm -hmm. but, um, but I think I think they they're meaningful, and I think that um, you know it it is we are in the midst of bourbon 2.0, um, and when you look at tequila and vodka and gin um, mainly, um, they've all been through, and and I guess even rum to a certain extent, they've already been through this kind of second act. Um, and I don't think bourbon has, and I think mm -hmm. that we we're on, we're on the leading edge of, of hopefully helping it find its second act where maybe, you know, a, a bottle that's called old something with a picture of an old guy smoking a cigar is not necessarily going to be as, um, is not going to resonate with people as much as perhaps our bottle might. Or mm -hmm. a different bottle that that's you know about to be released. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think, and this is this is why I like craft so much. Is I think that we can draw a pretty close parallel to what is happening in bourbon to what happened in craft beer specifically, right? And so, if you run back 25 years or 30 years, craft beer wasn't really a thing, but you started seeing people home brewing, and um, so we went from, and it's on its second act, is, is what we'll say, because. Um, I spent some time in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago, and one of the the guys there was talking about all of these um, tunnels that are underneath the city that were a part of the the, the beer industry in the 17 and 1800s in Cincinnati, and then it died off. And now Cincinnati is kind of resurging in its interest in craft beer. And craft whiskey is the same way. Whiskey in the United States was a craft industry at its inception. And then it mirrors, you know, the industrial revolution here in the United States and it gets more you know, mechanized and more cost effective and more whatever. And then people lose interest and you couldn't hardly give it away. And then there's this, you know, bourbon boom, so to speak. And now there's craft distillers popping up everywhere. They're doing unique things. There's brands that are coming up that, that are available. And uh, I like that your brand is not trying to hide that it is a brand and not a distillery. Right? You're, you're not necessarily um, setting up shop in a location. Um, you may distill somewhere. You may go to Bardstown or somewhere else and say, Hey, we want a custom distill, but you're not 
sticking up a still in a location and saying, yep, we're a distillery, but then buying everything somewhere else. Right. Um, it, it's appreciative, uh, at least for us, uh, for, for me as a, as a consumer, but your brand is you've been in the market for almost two years. Is that, is that a correct statement? Yeah, we, we launched, uh, in October of 2020. My assumption usually is, is that you're probably a couple of years into inception at that point in time, right? Like before you ever even launched, you're a couple of years of work to get to that point. And so if we run the clock back four years at this point, how many people were looking to put, put out what would be considered a premium product with a high design value and a quality, um, let's just say source distillate, like it's, it's it's a lot like your handwrite handwritten notes is that it's really audacious to believe that you can and are going to do these things. <laughs> um, and I asked this question last week of, of of who I was talking to, and it looking at what you know now, would you have if you'd have known all of the facts that you know right now, but known it before you started, would you have actually taken that leap, or is there some degree of uncertainty that just let you kind of forge ahead? Wow, that's such a that's such a, a a deep question to ask. Um, you know, with the ability of of foresight, um, I would I would probably the only thing I would change is I would have done more. I would mm-hmm. have gone harder. That's awesome. Um, that, 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 so that's the, that's a straightforward answer. That's that's what and. The, the answer I got from from Ari uh, Sussman from Mammoth uh, last week was that, yeah, we would have done it because we do hard things. That's what this is. Like, that's what the, the intent behind it is. Um, and it's, yeah. Yeah. And that's a good answer from Ari, too. Right. Like, you know, um, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Correct. This is this is not easy. Um, you know. There are so many things along the way that can go wrong. There was a moment in time, John, where you know France was was on the verge of its second lockdown. That's where we get our glass, mm-hmm. um, and we had to we had to put a uh, we had to put a pallet of bottles on a plane, and it it that plane <laughs> took off. You know, I think it was a day before the full French lockdown, um, and it cost us a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. it was the type of thing where it's just like. You know, <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do, and just swallow hard, and 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 uh, you know, hope hope it all works out. Um, and um, a- anything can go wrong. Um, you know, we had some bottles that were misprinted, also, and that's one of the challenges that we have as a as a, a company that um, that screen prints its glass. The paper is easier. Mm-hmm. Right, because uh, mistakes can can happen, but you know there was a there was a printing issue, um, and you know we lost a few thousand bottles of of you know empty glass mm-hmm. um, that had to re- be replaced almost instantaneously. Um, so you know, definitely things can happen. It's super hard. It's definitely not as easy as saying like I'm going to go buy a barrel and then we're just going to bottle it. Right. Um, you know, you, you got to mix in, um, you got to mix in TTB, you got to miss it, mix in bottling schedules, right? Because, because of this bourbon boom, um, you know, we don't have a bottling line. So we're reliant upon, upon somebody else's or other companies lines. And, um, 
you know, it's not, you can't just say, oh, hey, my glass didn't show up. Can we just push to next week? Pushing to next week might mean we have to push to next quarter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when there are, uh, you know, pledges that have been made to your distributors about when products going to arrive, it's really got to be clockwork. Um, and so anyway, uh, you know, Ari is right. Um, but I think with, with, you know, the, the kind of the ability to know what I know now, um, you know, we would have, we would have purchased more of those barrels that we initially launched with the 13 year, mm-hmm. um, because they're magnificent. Um, and, um, you know, we probably would have started contract distilling earlier. Um, if possible, that's time is something you can't, uh, right. you can't rush. Right. Uh, you can play guitars and, you know, loud music around it, or you can put a barrel in the back of a truck or on a, on a boat and, yep. you know, people do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can el- run electricity currents through, you know, through, uh, through barrels, but we don't believe in any of that. We just believe that, that time is something that, uh, that is going to pass, um, you know, as it wishes. Yeah. And I, I enjoy the, so I, I, I know most of the products. I didn't know about the electricity one. That's the one that I'm not sure of, but the rest of them, I, I sort of understand that. And I know that a lot of consumers look at that as like, oh, they're just trying to speed up aging. But to, to me, I view it as they're just trying to age differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same as if I wanted to say, I'm going to age whiskey in Texas versus in Alaska. You're just changing some of the variables to see what happens. And obviously it's not going to, you're not going to get the exact same behavior, which we somewhat understand what's going to happen over five, seven, ten years if you age whiskey in Kentucky. Like we, we've got yeah. a fairly good understanding of that. Um, you have your outliers. <laughs> a couple of centuries of history with that, right? Right. Yeah, we've we've got a little bit of of, of source data to kind of go back to uh, of of how to get there. Um, something that I've noticed, and I don't. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Maybe I'm off base here. Is that I'm seeing a number of people that end up. Uh, kicking off a brand and jumping into the, the whiskey bourbon industry uh, from tech. And so you said you were doing, you know, tech, tech uh, policy consulting, but you have folks like uh, barrel who comes from a tech background. If I remember correctly, Bardstown bourbon company came some of their, like, what is, do you know of anything that is specifically attractive about bourbon to tech people that they just, Tech and healthcare. We all like mm. like second acts largely are coming from those those lo- those industries. Well, uh, gosh, I, I don't know if of anything in particular. Um, you know, I think that that some of those some of those industries are kind of kind of a grind. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, it's uh, I mean, being in healthcare right now is uh it's it's a tough place to be in education right healthcare and education maybe there's going to be a boom of uh of teachers launching uh <laughs> launching new bourbon brands um you know i think that um i think that that you know bourbon is a romance language um and uh you know maybe maybe writing code 
is a romance language and and those two those maybe maybe they're are really kind of direct uh you know direct parallels um you know direct parallels that exist i'm not sure it's a, it's a really it's a really interesting question i just i know what i what i like i know what i like to drink um and you know i think anybody who either is from kentucky or lives in kentucky um feels why it's special understands why it would be really um meaningful and exciting and uh, you know to be part of this industry yeah it's i, I part of me thinks so i'm I working in the tech industry a little bit um part of me feels like that it is going from something that is you know zeros and ones right you're talking about code you're talking about all these things to something that has a degree of math, but also a degree of artistry, you know, being able to kind of craft a, a thing, whether it be a blend or a distillate or whatever, like there's, there's this convergence of, of science and art at the same place that, that can be, you know, particularly attractive to that type of person. Um, so earlier on, you, you made the statement that, um, you, you guys don't have to rely on maybe a tornado or a fire tattered whiskey, but that's not necessarily true. And so I want to commend you for this is that um, I live 11 miles from Mayfield, Kentucky, oh. right? My wife teaches in that school system. Um, and so for anyone who watches this that, that isn't aware, there was a tornado back in December and there's a particular bar there that had a restaurant, bar restaurant, whatever you want to call it, that had a series of bottles that survived a direct hit from what is the largest tornado that the state has ever seen. And, um, your brand specifically was one of the bottles that survived that. And so you pledged an opportunity. They were auctioning these things off to match dollar for dollar up to $10,000 for a single bottle. And so you technically do have your tornado whiskey that could be worth up to $20,000. If somebody bids yeah. 10, you kick in 10, it's a $20,000 whiskey. So you, you might be able to get like a little notch up on the, the H Taylors of the world, <laughs> uh, because not only is it a limited single bottle offering, it's it's got a high value. But uh, you know, I, I knew that was. I'm a glad thing. you noticed that. That was that was. Um, first of all, we were we were um, we were lucky to be asked to participate um, in in the fundraising efforts to support the community. It was. Um, the, the amount of devastation and hopefully you avoided that devastation. Yep. Um, good. Um, was, uh, you know, in some instances, it kind of looked like what what's happening in Ukraine right now, right. With just, uh, you know, completely flattened. Um, <clears throat> it was, you know, the, 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 the restaurant where those bottles survived, it was, um, you know, and I'm sure you saw those pictures of the bottles. Um, miraculous absolutely miraculous um and uh and so uh, i guess we do have those um yeah. and, and you have to be commended for that too is because someone could call and say hey do you want to participate in this and no one would ever know if you said no to that like you have the opportunity to, to decline and no one would know and, and and you could kind of move on down the line but but you agreed to it and that's you know, there's there's a high degree of kudos that goes into that um, because it has a direct impact. You know, that is 
it was ground zero. It does. It doesn't look like that anymore because everything has been cleaned up and now it's just all flat land, which is differently depressing for, for that particular community. Yeah. You know, it's a, before it was rubble. Now it's just flat land with nothing there with the idea of, of rebuilding. But, you know, every dollar kind of helps move that forward. And most of my wife's students, they were all directly impacted by that. And so any dollar that kind of comes in was, was, you know, greatly appreciated by that community. Um, and I just, like I said, you said that and it was on my list of things that I wanted to bring up, not so much ask a question, but just kind of, a, you know, it, it matches if I, if, if I draw any kind of a conclusion of the character of the brand from this particular conversation, uh, it's not surprising. This is exactly what you guys, you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're being who you actually are. Um, it's not a story. It's not a gimmick. It's not whatever. Um, it is intrinsically valuable, um, to, to the bourbon industry, to the whiskey industry, just to industry in general. I mean, uh, you're a modernized bourbon company and expressions with richness and, and, and a whole host of other things, but you're also real, right? Thanks for saying that, John. I, I appreciate it. And we're, we're, you know, we actually, we love being part of this community. Um, we love the community, right? Mm -hmm. That I, I think the thing that, that, that really resonates with me now being in this industry versus just kind of being a bourbon consumer um, is that this, this community of people is warm and welcoming. Um, you know, we're all different. We all come from different places. We ha all have different backgrounds. Uh, we tend to maybe even believe different things politically. Um, we like different teams, um, mm -hmm. right? But there's this one thing that draws us all together that over, that, that I think helps us overcome all those differences, um, right? It's really, it's, it's a really special community. Um, the, the friendships that I'm sure that you've created and that I've created are, are um, you know, they'll withstand the test of time. And, and the beauty at which people can make fast friends, you know, fast, fast friendships here too, that are as strong, you know, these bonds are super strong. So I love it. I love being part of it. You know, hopefully nothing, you know, like that happens again. Mm -hmm. um, um, but if it does, we're going to be a, a part of, of supporting the rebuild. Yeah. That's like I said, it, it just kind of, it's a testament to who, to who you guys are as an, as a, as a brand. So earlier in the conversation, you, you made a statement, you may have coined a phrase. I don't know if, if you've heard it from other people before, but you said bourbon 2.0. Um, I've worked in the, the tech industry long enough to remember web 2.0 and whenever it was like a real term and then it became, became a gimmick after the fact. But so bourbon 2.0, um, what does bourbon 2.0 look like to you? I think it, it looks like blue run. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, these other industries that have gone through their own metamorphoses. Um, you know, I look back at, at vodka in the, in the kind of the early nineties. And, you know, I remember when sky vodka was just, it's really popped on the shelf, right? That blue mm -hmm. bottle, it looked amazing. And, um, you know, uh, that's, that was, that was one of the things that I would, that I would order. God, I can't believe I really 
did that, but I did. <laughs> same. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm at the same right. place. So you've been there. So it's, it sounds like we've been through this, the same kind of drink journey, uh, you know. Probably. Um, yeah. But I don't think it, I, I think, I think only some of this is aesthetics. Um, I think the majority of, of what bourbon 2.0 looks like is, is that realization that we talked about earlier, that there is this diversifying, um, base of, of brown spirits drinkers. Um, it's not just, you know, like we talked about people like us, um, you know, there are people who um there are people who i guess um like not i guess there are people who like bourbon who um drink bourbon um who don't have that brand affinity that we talked about um who don't feel a part of something um and so Sky Vodka is great, right? Back in the 90s, that was great. It stood out. That was a 2.0 moment for, for, for vodka. Um, I don't think you can just change the, the way a bottle looks and expect it, and expect it to be 2.0, though, in this, mm-hmm. in this kind of in these modern times with uh, educated consumers. Um, there has to be something more. And I think that something more is the personal approach that we offer. Um, I think it is tying together the old and the new, the, the, the Jim Rutledge with the Shailen Gammon. Um, I think it's, I think it's being able to, um, to communicate, um, kind of the, the, the heritage of what we're doing with a vision for the future. Um, and that vision for the future is that, that, you know, um, this is, this is a, this is a spirit that, like I talked about earlier, I called it a romance language, right? Mm-hmm. And it, because I think it is, I think it's something that just, it resonates with people. Um, and you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't have just the same bottle. I don't go to the store and buy a hundred bottles of the same thing. Right. You know, I want to try different things. I want to have unique flavor experiences. I want to have a, a unique look and feel. Um, sometimes I want to drink bourbon with the, you know, that requires a steak knife. And, um, right. you know, sometimes I want bourbon that requires a spoon, you know, or a straw is probably the better, uh, right. Kind of no, the, yeah, the, I'm, the I'm, better utensil there. I own no, well, right. I'll take that back. I, I may have like two or three duplicates across the bottles that I own, but, uh, what's what's the reason for having ten of the same bottle? You know, uh, there there really isn't right. one. It's there's so many things. Right. This is the thing that you probably you probably get this. You know, so like, what's your favorite whiskey that's not your brand, right? Um, and I have a hard time answering that because I usually say I don't know because I haven't tried them all yet. But I'm trying yeah, to that's try. A, them that's that's a pretty darn good answer. Um, that's a pretty darn good answer. I, I, there are a lot of bourbons out there that I like. Um, I obviously prefer blue run. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
but you know, John, one of these days I'm going to come over and we'll drink something that may be blue run or may not be. And, um, I'm sure we'll enjoy it because we get to like be in each other's company. Right. Um, that's so, as much of the, you, know, you mentioned this earlier. Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, you know, that, that you, you tie different flavors or experiences to, to your past. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes drinking bourbon with a friend, um, you know, can invoke so many good thoughts and good feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it might be going back to those days of, of white label beam in college. Um, and, uh, it might be, you know, drinking, a uh, you know, having a pour with me of, of blue run 14 year. Um, I think a lot of, of bourbon drinking can be, um, situational based. Without um, where are you? What's the weather? What do you feel like? What's your mood? Um, so I'm not, well, I was going to say, I'm not picky. I'm picky. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm picky. I know, I know what I like. Um, and, uh, um, uh, but I'm always open to, to unique new opportunities. Yep. And that's where, like, what do you like? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm diving more and more into craft as much as I can. And I hate that term because it's almost become a dirty word. Like, Oh, you're craft whiskey, you know, it, yeah. because that is where Eric's to me, that is where experimentation is happening. Unique cask finishes, American single malts, uh, whatever, right? Like they're, they're, they have an opportunity. It's very hard for a um, gym beam to experiment because they are at scale. They're at a significant scale. And to be able to stop all the, the distillation and barreling to do one project is incredibly difficult. Now they're all working their way through how to solve that. You know, Jim Beam has their you know, craft distillery that they're putting in at their uh, Claremont location, uh -huh. but that's where it is. And, and so I try to pick up more and more craft flavors. Uh, you know, I love what Alan Bishop is doing at French lick spirits. Um, I enjoy what peerless is doing, uh, in Louisville, you know, they, they're, they're, I think the two, two, it's probably maybe the best way to say this, the two best things that I had in 2021 were the, uh, barrel or sorry, the, I had to look at it again, peerless double oaked and Barstown bourbon companies for And so one is someone else's distillate that's aged in a unique cask. And the other is, a small distillery who is doing their own thing, aging it, you know, they did their, their double casking, you know, the, the, the double oaked or whatever. Um, now I hadn't had blue run until this year. So that doesn't count. You know, you guys aren't in that mix. I've, I've, I've got my opportunity to have that now. Um, but that's where I live. That's where I'm, I'm trying to live now is, is, is get away from trying to find the EH Taylor tornado warehouses of the world and find more of, the um you know the catoctin creeks or the the blue runs for that matter the, the 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 three chords the mammoths you know that's that's where it is for me you know like they, they, someone is crafting with intentionality and not trying to rely on a, a long-term story that has been around forever yeah i love to hear that i'm glad what so you you mentioned uh, we, we've talked about it a number of times uh that we 
represent probably the bulk of what is happening in marketing within whiskey right now, as far as our demographic, but there's a host of other people that are whiskey consumers that are being, might be uh, called underserved. Um, what's, what do you think is the the most interesting underserved market that, that, that bourbon could be attacking right now that blue, that blue run could be attacking? Uh, all of them. All of them. <laughs> All of them, um, That's you know, I can, I can, uh, you know, I think that, that, uh, I think women and, and African-Americans, um, are, you know, if you look at just people of, of color, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that, that those are two areas, you know, we, we, we're big fans of bourbon women. Um, we're big fans of the black bourbon society. Um, you know, those are groups that are, that are, uh, big and growing and doing it right. And, and focused on education, um, uh, and, you know, I, you could just kind of, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, this or that, right? Like, um, we're, we're focused on, we're focused on communicating with a larger audience than that, you know, than currently exists out there, mm -hmm. I think for, for a number of, of different, different brands. Um, uh, and, you know, when I say communicating with, it's not just, I'm sending people letters and that's the last time we talked to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, I, I kind of, I picture it as more of collaborative communication. Um, you know, I get a hold of somebody or vice versa. They've they've got a comment, they've got a note, they've got something they're thinking about or they want to see. You know, it just doesn't fall on deaf ears. This is mm -hmm. this is really a kind of a journey that we're all on together. Um, and so, it's it's kind of important to realize that consumers don't have to be nameless and faceless, and they shouldn't be. Right? We don't have a company without without consumers mm -hmm. um and you know nobody nobody really does but you know it's very different than selling a box of cereal or something like that um uh right this is you know um this is very kind of i mean i guess buying a box of cereal is also a personal experience and a, um, no, I, 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 I get i get I what think. you're after is that like the, the faceless consumer is really only a market segment for commodity whiskey for big decision making, yeah. not for there, it's a creation, right? Yeah, it's a creation. It's it's not it, it. The nameless, faceless consumer exists only because the brands allow them to exist as nameless and faceless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we you know, we spend come, a lot of time. I'm on welcoming everybody who wants to be a part of Blue Run. Come be a part of Blue Run. Yeah, we're a big family. We, you know, why big tent? When we when we try to craft a solution in my particular line of work, we try to develop as many personas as we can, and that's trying to identify different people that might interact with whatever we're doing, and how do we make sure that the experience fits their needs specifically? And, and I appreciate the the discussion around people of color and around fe uh, women uh, specifically. Maybe two months ago, um, I had uh, Morgan from Female Whiskey Society on. Did two and a half hours where we just you know had had a had a fun conversation. Um, but I'm glad and 
I'm glad that those societies exist. I'm sad that they have to. Right. Because we yeah. historically have created a kind of a boys only club and um, those societies don't bubble up because we were already being inclusive. They bubble up because we were being <laughs> exclusive. Right. Um, but it's right. And, and, and that's a, and a female whiskey society. And, and I should have worn my sweatshirt. I actually, uh, I just bought a sweatshirt from Morgan, mm -hmm. um, the other day. Um, and you're right. They shouldn't have to exist. I'm certainly glad that they, that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but you know, blue run was founded under the premise that it should, you know, it's, it's bourbon for everyone. Right. And, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, it's bourbon for some people, it's bourbon for everybody. Yep. Um, and it, it, this community is for everyone. So anybody who wants to be a part of it, no matter, you know, where they come from, what they look like or what they believe, there's a home for you here. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I can't imagine a better way to end this uh, than, than on a note like that for, uh, for, for what we're talking about. So um, I appreciate the time that you've given me and had the opportunity to have this discussion. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed by the whiskey community or your participation in a lot of different things. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we, you know, kill the recording of this? Uh, well, thank you, John. And thanks for having, thanks for having me on and, giving me the opportunity to to share with your fans um a little bit more about blue run um you know we mean it when we say we want to talk to you come find us we're on um we're on instagram and facebook and uh twitter and um maybe one day we'll post something on TikTok. we'll see but it's all at blue run spirits um and you know if you want, if you want to, if you want to interact with me, drop me an email. I'm at Mike at BlueRunSpirits.com. Um, I uh, am 99% sure that I'll, I'll make sure I get back to you. If you don't hear from me pretty much instantaneously, drop me another line. Um, and, you know, I want to hear from you. I want, I want, I want more people to feel that they've got a home in the bourbon community with Blue Run Spirits. That's, it, it, I mean, it, it resonates with everything else that you've said here today. Um, I, like I said, I, I appreciate the time. Sitting down with people like uh, Mike from Blue Run Spirits is really uh, a fantastic opportunity for me. It, it's a chance to be able to talk to people who are passionate about what they do. They are um, what we might consider to be good citizens of the whiskey community, and they, they do nothing but help lift the entire segment. Um, if, you, if you don't come away from this with an understanding of anything other than you need to buy whatever they have available um, on the shelf that you come across, or follow them on social media, or become uh, aware of what it is that they're doing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. This this is this is exactly the kind of brand that 
more people need to template themselves off of. Um, but thanks for tuning in for this episode of the Embellish Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform you are consuming this on and leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod, and you can you can follow along with whatever's going on here. Um, I can be also be found at www.embellishpod.com. It has all of my links, accounts, and contact details. Um, I'll be back again next week with, with another new offering. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.